You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Zirkus, with the RSA Conference team, and today I am joined by Ilya Volovic with Recorded Future, who will be discussing secure payments and cryptocurrency. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. Now, I'd like to ask Ilya to take a moment to introduce himself before we dive into today's topic. Ilya? Hi, Casey, and thank you for having me today. Uh, it's a pleasure virtually meeting you. Uh, as all things, things nowadays work virtually. Uh, so my name is Ilya Bolovic, and I, I am senior manager of a payment fraud intelligence team here at Recorded Future. With my background, I come from law enforcement and prior to that military background. Uh, so I have been with the government sector and then now in the private industry. Uh, in our uh, daily work, we track all things related to payment fraud and as well as any kind of cybercrime. Obviously, when you work in this field, you are always exposed to different sorts of cybercrime. So we always have a uh, look at different topics and, and, and different things that are happening around the cyber world. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. And I know that one sort of most popular payment fraud is Magikarp infections and e-skimmers. Could you maybe talk to our listeners a little bit, explain what that is and what the landscape looked like? For sure. So MageCard is uh, an interesting new um, uh, thing that people have started doing over the past few years. Uh, so as we faced COVID threat, um, a lot of things got shut down, right? They, people were sitting in the, at home and shopping from home and we were locked in. And uh, so that kind of gave a big boost to online shopping, although it was present before, obviously, but it was really boosted during this COVID time. And in that time, the MageCart wasn't necessarily something brand new, but it was still not as developed. And over this period of us all being locked in and starting to use all these online platforms, cyber criminals started to expand on their mage card infections. And what essentially it is, it's a way where cyber criminals will infect various e-commerce sites with a special script. And what that will do um, is actually steal your payment card information. So when you go to your favorite shopping site, for example, you start to put in your billing information and your credit card information, there could be a script running on that page that is not something you will identify or be able to identify that will exfiltrate that data and then send it to a infrastructure that is under control by the cyber criminal. And they're able to steal payment cards that way. Whereas in the past, you know, probably I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar, you know, uh, you go to a gas station and you look to see if there's something installed on that uh, you know, uh, on the magnetic stripe, some kind of device. So you go to ATM and you check and see if there's something installed there, some kind of device that will steal your card information. So that used to be card present type of data theft. Nowadays, again, it's more like card not present data where it's like electronic card number that you just punch in on um, on an e-commerce site. So that MageCard script will steal that data. And it's not as easy to identify that MageCard script uh, as it were for like something installed on a, you know, on a gas pump. 
Just out of curiosity, are they transactional so that, you know, the user is entering the payment card information and that's when it's accessible? Or is it even stored payment card information on a site that is susceptible? So stored payment information, there are different ways to steal that information. So MageCard mostly relates to that, uh, essentially injecting a malicious script into the e-commerce website, um, and then they'll replace the legitimate payment gateway. Um, But when we talk about, you know, stealing store card information, that's a little bit different kind of breach. Uh, Now, these type of breaches also happen. We still see exposure of, you know, cards that were stolen in, in that manner. Uh, however, um, because of certain laws, if a financial or e-commerce site for some reason stores payment card information, they are not allowed by law to store the full card information, so like a CVV code and things like that. So if cybercriminals steal that card information, it's not always as useful as when you have the full card information, including CVV, including your expiration date, including your like name and billing information, which mm-hmm. can be stolen with MageCard if you are using e-commerce site and they have that malicious script running on it. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. And I'm just wondering, are there other tools or methods that cyber criminals use to validate stolen cards? So, uh, you know, when we look at the payment fraud life cycle, right, and we call it a life cycle from breach to fraud. So what usually happens in in cases with mage card infections, especially is that you, which is the most common one we see nowadays, is that they will have that malicious script running on the e-commerce site, that's the first step of the fraud life cycle. So the second one is obviously stealing the card. The card gets exfiltrated uh, into infrastructure that is controlled by the cyber criminals and say, you know, they'll have e-commerce site infected for like a week. And in that week, that site will have, you know, however many visitors, however many shoppers um, say, you know, they'll be able to steal 1,000 or 10,000 payment cards. So then that card is then going to the dark web for sale in a lot of cases. So these, if you will, brokers that kind of deal with stealing payment card data, they will then post these cards to a carding shop. It may be, you know, that they run the carding shop themselves, but more often uh, it's separate entities. So you have the dark web and or uh, if you want to call it the deep, dark, dark web, and there's many names to it, but essentially um, these dark web shops, they'll sell this card data uh, on their site. These shops, they kind of look like something you would find, you know, on your eBay, for example, right? There's like different functions there. You log into that shop and you can search by cards depending on the bank bin and and geographical location and so on and so forth. And then those shops will actually sell that data uh, for, you know, anywhere from between five to 20, 30 dollars per card. So then there's another element here, and that's the end user, right? Uh, So that end user is the fraudster that will actually try and get that card and monetize it. So they'll go to that carding shop, they'll pick a card that they like, and they'll buy that card. But they also need to verify that that card is legitimate because carding shops, they can have, you know, thousands of cards for sale. How does a cyber criminal know this card is valid and legitimate? So this is where a uh, checker comes in. A checker is essentially an offering by other cyber criminals to check for stolen payment cards to see if they're valid. Sometimes these checkers can be installed or built into these carding shops. Sometimes these are standalone options. So what these checkers do um, is actually they are tied to various kinds of merchants. They could be tied to legitimate merchants, uh, could be tied to donation websites, for example, could be tied to some major entities um, uh, that are, you know, 
we all know and love. And what it does is it'll register that cart with that merchant, for example. And when it does that, it will do uh, a couple of things. It can do a $0 transaction, meaning like that cart is then added to account of that legitimate entity. And in essence, if you are adding cards to that entity, that entity can say, oh, that card is not legitimate. You know, it doesn't work. Uh, so the checker will then bring that data back to the cybercrime saying, hey, that card didn't work. So cybercrime knows, okay, that card didn't work. Uh, and the cyber criminal will try and monetize that card. Then they will try and either acquire merchandise or uh, go shopping or, or whatever else they want to do with that card information. In some other cases, they may even go further and try and do an account takeover where they'll try and, you know, maybe log into banking account, withdraw money from the actual banking account. But that's a little bit separate from the payment card fraud. In essence, there's multiple steps in this process that cybercriminals can can use to kind of try and get the money off from your payment card. This is all so fascinating, and I have so many like auxiliary questions that are coming up as we talk, but I want to stick to our planned questions here and maybe talk a little bit about other tools that criminals use for bypassing methods like bots or 3DS. For sure. And as you know, we a lot of uh, obviously a lot of people are affected by payment card fraud and and identity theft and all these different things. So obviously, from institutional perspective, you have to try and protect people. So you create various tools and methods to protect individuals. One of those methods is uh, 3DS or OTP, right, as we know, also know it. Uh, so cyber criminals, you know, initially when all that came online, they were like, oh, well, what do we do now, right? How do we bypass that? So some of the things that they come up with are actually quite creative. So what happens when you do a, a um, 3DS check, for example, you're trying to log into your bank account and uh, you know, from unknown computer, your bank will send you like a text message to your phone saying, hey, is this you actually trying to log in? And then you go through the steps of maybe even receiving a, a special code that you're going to then enter on a bank's website or, you know, maybe even a call or something to that effect. Well, what cyber criminals come up with is, well, okay, when they're logging into somebody's bank account, they're trying to steal information, that bank can send notification to, to, to the victim. But what they do in return is they'll use this bot service that has been created um, where that bot will be configured in a way to mimic that institution that they're trying to break into. So let's use an example of a bank that sends a 3DS notification to the victim. The bot will call the victim and it'll tell them like, hey, you know, we need you to verify some kind of activity. Please enter the PIN number we're going to send you right now. And then that victim, on, on the other hand, you have a cyber criminal that's trying to log in to the bank account. And then that will legitimately trigger a PIN being sent to your phone. And you look at your phone, there's the PIN that came in, you enter it in your phone, and you're thinking you're speaking to like an automated system from the bank. And then that system will actually record the PIN that you just input and provide it to cyber criminal. So it's a very interesting way. And again, a lot of things that we deal with today are kind of automated. I'm sure everybody has dealt with uh, various automated systems that are legitimate, right? Like you call your bank, you're trying to speak to customer service, you're trying to get to somebody and you're like speaking to a machine and that machine gives you prompts. Uh, similarly, maybe a machine calls you to remind you about appointment that you have and press one for this or press two for that. Uh, so 
these bots will mimic that kind of like machine behavior. So you're not going to have somebody with a Eastern European accent or accent like mine, for example, calling and trying to play, <laughs> hey, can I get your pin number, please? I uh, need to log it. So it's yeah. going to be like a voice machine that will call you. Um, and again, it, it, you can configure that bot to pretty much say anything. You can configure that bot to say proper things, say, hey, we're calling from this service and we need your, for some reason, some kind of pin or something else. Where in the back end, you have cyber criminals trying to log into your bank account. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency security. So where do fraud and security teams overlap when it comes to secure payments? And where do secure payments and cryptocurrency overlap? You know, everybody's talking about crypto. There's huge boom of crypto that, that we have seen, obviously, over the past few years. But again, cyber criminals have been using crypto for a long time. And, you know, some say that cyber criminals were the ones that kind of gave rise to crypto because they were, you know, it was an easy medium to exchange money without much tracking. When we talk about the safety of crypto, as general populace is adapting to the use of crypto. Cybercriminals are also adapting to that general populace and trying to find ways how to steal that crypto from the general populace. You know, myself, I have some friends that are my age and they everybody pretty much has some kind of crypto stuff. And we like to think we are savvy in crypto, right? Like we know about fraud. We know the Nigerian prince scam where somebody calls you on the phone and is trying to get you, you know, tells you, hey, you just won a whole bunch of money. Oh, or, my God, that was a scam. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 exactly. And, and all these like scams that we used to, we are like used to like somebody trying to trick you into like, hey, you know, calling your grandma and telling her you in an accident and send some money. What are we used to this kind of scams, right? Like, my generation, like younger folks, we're good with crypto. We know how to trade it. We know how like blockchains work, sort of. <laughs> uh, but cyber criminals also aware of that. So they try and find a way to kind of speak to myself. Um, you know, what do I know about crypto? I know it can be mined. I know crypto can be exchanged for a better rate, for example, somewhere. So cyber criminals are tapping into that. So this uh, current report we are releasing here, it's called Crypto Drainer. So essentially, it's a phishing page that is geared towards these individuals that are dealing with crypto. Again, it's not geared towards your grandma. It's not geared towards somebody that's oblivious to crypto. It's geared towards people that know crypto. And they have this phishing page for the purposes of this crypto drainer uh, that will advertise different things like, hey, you can like exchange your tokens at better rate or, hey, you can you know use your tokens to mine more tokens, which is not uncommon to see in the crypto world and somebody's telling you like, hey, there's a better exchange rate on this service or that service or you can mine crypto and so on and so forth. So it speaks to that individual user. Additionally, they can, uh, they actually, for these crypto drainers, they are using these um, legitimate scripts that are generally used by crypto users, right? So for example, these phishing pages will have legitimate add-ons that will be added to them, like uh, extensions, essentially. Say, for example, you go to that phishing page, they advertise to you, hey, we can mine crypto with your crypto. All you got to do is download this legitimate extension and this other legitimate extension. And you're thinking, oh, well, that sounds safe. I've seen that extension before. It's legitimate. And I've seen this extension before. It's legitimate. So this whole crypto mining thing must be legitimate. And the next thing you know, you're kind of connecting your crypto wallet to this phishing page, essentially, that will then drain your crypto. 
interesting thing. It's kind of like this crypto drainer thing sounds complicated. But as we've seen in the past few years at this point, an emergence of these offerings as a service, whether it's phishing as a service, hacking as a service, and so on and so forth, things as a service, ransom as a service, that's a big one, obviously. So as a service. So with these crypto drainers, there are offerings on the dark web where they will pretty much give you all the tools you need. Like you go out there, you don't have to configure this phishing page. You don't have to know how to create this elaborate, complex programming code that will execute X, Y, Z. It's really geared towards, you know, somebody that has some computer knowledge and they can easily take that crypto phishing page and they can easily implement it, fairly easily implement it into their uh, fraudulent activity. So there's definitely always kind of threats out there and people are hunting for that crypto stuff and people are hunting for uh, individuals that have crypto. Uh, so it's an interesting cat and mouse game. So hmm. crypto safety, you know, you, you you also have to remember that crypto is also vulnerable to this type of stuff and, and people that are also in the know can be vulnerable to phishing attacks, um, but that are more sophisticated than your run of the mill, you know, hey, you want, a, you know, some some kind of magical sum somewhere far yeah. away. Yeah. Again, this is all super fascinating stuff and there's just so much that we can continue to talk about. But before we wrap up, I'd love to hear just your opinion on what you see as the future of digital payments and secure payments for e-commerce. So we are definitely going through various transitions on, on, on secure payments and e-commerce. And a lot of times this is a cat and mouse game, meaning that we from financial institution side from law enforcement side always trying to be a step ahead of the cyber criminals eventually they catch up and then we have to change certain things how we do things how we process things so we come up with new tools so it is a constant uh, game of tug and pull especially as we kind of get into more digitized age more things are exposed on the internet you know you have to think about security in terms of usability and safety right so if you make something very very safe it may not be very usable. So you always have that fine line between making something usable and making it safe. Uh, so we are constantly kind of trying to improve our monitoring capability. Like, hey, we monitoring for this emergence of new threats, emergence of new tools and uh, TTPs that, that cyber criminals are implementing. So that way we can like work with, whether it's financial institution, e-commerces and everybody involved uh, to kind of counteract that and how you counteract each threat it, it's going to depend on a threat um, it, again it, it's a very interesting chess match between us on the security side and and uh, the cyber criminals on the other side uh, but in general again we are coming up with new and better ways to monitor this we are coming up with new and better ways to make things safer online but we just got to find that balance where you have good usability and it's, things are not overly complex as far as safety I love that. Thank you. I, it is a cat and mouse game. And, you know, we always <laughs> the goal is just that we're one step ahead. Right. Uh, <laughs> put us in a better position. Ilya, thank you so much for being here today. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to find products and solutions related to secure payments and cryptocurrency and e-commerce. We invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. 
Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year round.